Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six oh, days. Like I'd say it to your face, and I'll say it to you now. Come down to Anfield, and we'll see them. What are you doing down here? You're showing me, man. You're very welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast. Oh, my debit and Ken Early here, fresh out of the door, just back in this door, actually, from the official launch of Roy Keane's second autobiography. We'll play you some of the highlights in just a minute. The highlights of the press conference as opposed to the book. Mm. It's hard to do that in audio form. Um, but most importantly, Ken, your verdict on the book itself? Uh, I think it's okay. It's a searing, brutally honest assessment from Ken Early. Well, I don't... I'm sorry, I thought you were going to talk and say that was the book. I, I'm not sure. I mean, it's it's interesting to to compare. I mean, okay, I think it's a, it's it's a response to Alex Ferguson's book. You know, uh, Ferguson's book came out last year. Shortly after that, Roy Keane announced he'd be naming another book. Uh, I think he's uh, he's been asked about this. You know, have you done this as a response to Ferguson's book? And he said something like, "Well, if you do, if you ask me that, you don't know me." But I I think he has as well. I kind of think that's the main reason. talked a lot about Ferguson today and we'll get into that uh, shortly. There's, I mean, uh, you, you compare the account of this bust-up they had in, in his book and in Ferguson's book, and it's quite different. I mean, Ferguson, for instance, has, uh, has Roy Keane going nuts. His eyes had turned into little uh, black dots or something like this, and he was jumping up and down like a maniac. And everybody, and people were getting up and walking out. People were, uh, Paul Scholes was walking out in disgust. Um, van der Sar had had a Van der Sar. Now Keane does have Van der Sar saying something, all right. Mm. I don't think this is this is they're having a meeting after Keane's video. So Keane is insulted that anyone is. Oh, what are they saying? This video is like a nuclear bomb or something. It needs to be taken out into the forest and destroyed. Like it's that toxic, you know. Um, uh, Ferguson gets them all upstairs. Okay, we're going to watch this video then. All of us up. Everyone up to my office, and they're all watching the video. And then at the end, you know, Keane is kind of thinking, oh, I'm not quite, can't quite remember what I said. I hope I didn't say anything really bad. You know, did I say Rio, Rio was getting paid too much? Or, you know, I can't remember if I said anything really bad. I don't think I did. So they watch it, and he hasn't. So he's really relieved. According he's like, to himself, anyway. Yeah, he's like, oh, you know, see, does anyone have a problem with that? And I think it's everyone who starts that up and says, well, actually, and Keane was like, 
Oh, Edwin, you've been here two minutes, kind of thing. You know, this is in Ferguson's book. By <laughs> no, the no. Way. The, well, that, this is this is one point on which oh, they, they agree. They agree. Okay. Uh, and then um, you know, Caro, Caro's saying you need to be loyal to your teammates. Don't you talk to me about loyalty, Carlos? You know, Carlos having. Uh, and then this is the one where the line of. Uh, you know, he's like, we've just been having a meeting downstairs about training. This was Keane having a players' meeting, where they were they were going through a few things, and he says it's kind of a frank exchange of views. Things were uh, the things were said, but you know, the atmosphere was quite good. And then Ferguson comes in, and he's like, "What's going on here? What are you all doing here?" And uh, Keane is saying, "Well, look, you know, just getting a few things straight with the with the lads over this video. You know, this is what and that's when Ferguson says, "All right, upstairs, we're all watching this video now." You know. Um, but th- this is where he comes up with the line uh, to, to Kairos, as it's written in the book. Uh, he's like, we've just, this is Keane now, he's saying, we've just been downstairs talking about training, you know, how we need to kind of freshen things up a bit. And Kairos is like, look, Roy, it's about repetition, repetition, repetition. And Keane says, Carlos, do you always make love to your wife in the same position? Uh, this is how this is how it's reported. And uh, it's like, I think uh, Carlos said, why? Where is this going? <laughs> uh, every, everyone's kind of sitting there a little bit stunned. Keane's like, even now, I'm not quite sure why I said that at the time. <laughs> but he's saying, look, you mix it up. You, you mix things up a little bit, you know, to stop it getting boring. This is all in this in this furious meeting. Now, Ferguson claims that Keane started ranting so much that players like Paul Scholes uh, were getting up and walking out in disgust. But Keane has a quite differently, which is that um, he leaves. He leaves the meetings. Oh, I've, I've had enough of this this stupid meeting. Uh, I'm going to go and Roy get Keane ready for never, training. Roy Keane would never leave a meeting. Uh, <laughs> well, he, before it was called. I mean, he draws the similarity, he, he draws the parallel with Saipan very explicitly. Like, this is, I've been in this situation before, you know, I know what, I know what happens here. Um, but, uh, and that, and Ferguson then starts saying, after Keane's gone, Ferguson's like, Keane says, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer told me, Ferguson's like, what about that? What do you all think of that guy? You know, the way that he's behaved in here is a disgrace. And uh, at which point, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Paul Scholes stand up and say, we're leaving because we don't want to be here in a meeting talking about him when he's not here. We don't want to be talking about him behind his back in this, so we're out of here. Uh, At which point, Ferguson says, no, you're not. You walk out of here. You're walking out of this club. You know what I mean? Basically, you better not follow him out. Um, But Keane is saying, you know, I I love the fact fact that they... uh, Showed, showed a bit of loyalty to me, you know, at that point, which wouldn't have been easy for them that they kind of... So that it's, it's, it's a totally different interpretation. How, does, Ke- how does Keane know that conversation happened? Solskjaer told him, apparently. All right, okay, yeah. Um, he loves he loves Solskjaer. He's a, he's <laughs> how a can good man. Yeah. How can anyone not love uh, Solskjaer? But, uh, yeah, look, I mean, that's just... Uh, what happens in the book is essentially that Keane reckons... And you can see it happening a couple of times in the book. But that this whole exit from Manchester United, the reason that he's so angry about it, and he still is really angry about it, and he's still, and it's if anything, he's more, he seems to be more angry with Alex Ferguson now than he even was then, um, is because he felt that he was he was set up, you know, that that uh, it started off, well, it started off ultimately with him being injured, you know, it starts off with him having a hip problem, which is a really bad problem, which he was kind of trying to disguise from. People, you know, he's playing with painkillers, and um, you know, so so as a player, he was in decline, kind of managed decline. Um, but that Carlos Queiroz, the assistant of Alex Ferguson at that time, um, essentially 
their personal relationship took a bit of a nosedive over a quarrel re- relating to a holiday villa in Portugal. I mean, it's just ridiculous, you know. You can, you can, no need to go through the details. But that Quero seemed to be then dissing him subtly, you know, didn't want him to come back into the team, you know, was kind of picking him last in the training games, disrespecting him in lots of small ways. Keane obviously getting more paranoid, you know, Keros is talking to Ferguson all the time. What's going on here? But that it seems from his account of it, that he thinks that they kind of cooked this situation up. That this video thing, which he interprets as, as total nonsense, and we can hear, well, I think we'll hear some clips of him talking about this today. You know, this, this video where he supposedly excoriated his teammates for playing really badly against Middlesbrough was totally overblown. Usually, that, you know, not only would it not get out that something like that had happened, but if, if something like that was to get out, Manchester United would kind of manage it a little bit in the media. They'd be saying, oh, this is no big deal. Whereas instead, he thinks the opposite happened. They were actually making a bigger issue out of it than needed to be in, in order to generate a pretext to get rid of him. And this is what this is obviously the way he sees it. I mean, there's a, this, it's not the only time he, he has that sense of being set up, you know, being kind of conspired against or outmaneuvered by people. There's, there's Ricky Sprager. Do you remember Ricky Sprager? Yeah, and the coach at Sunderland. Uh, and he talks about him. Um, Towards the end of his time at Sunderland, he's, he's in the car with Tony Lachlan and Richie Sprager, and, uh, and he says, Tony, would you ever fancy management, do you think? And Tony says, ah, no, Roy, you know, I think I'd, I'd rather be out in the grass. Out in the grass meaning coaching, you know? And uh, he goes, Ricky, what about you? Have you, have you ever thought about it? No, 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 <laughs> absolutely not. Oh, not for me, not for me, says, uh, says Ricky Sprager. And, and Keane is kind of looking at him, Thinking, hmm, protesting too much. Maybe? I've never seen anyone deny their interest in management so much. But then, of course, a few days later, he's out and Richie, Ricky Sprage is in, right? And he's thinking back to that, going, hmm, that makes a bit more sense now in hindsight. But again, you know, we all of this hints at a lot of a lot of insecurity, which is something he does go into in the book, and it's it's something that's universal to a lot of to every sports person that the you know. You get to the end, and oftentimes your powers wane by the end. And so how you deal with that in your own head, it seems like Keane maybe didn't didn't deal with it particularly well. I mean, he would have he would have known. I, I, I don't know if he talks about it necessarily in the book, but it seems a, a big issue to me. It's in Ferguson's autobiography that Quiroz and Ferguson decided together that Keane's powers had waned and they had to play him in a different way. And Keane mm. wasn't really ready to accept that. So I'd say in the back of his mind, he's thinking, look, these guys are, they just don't rate me anymore. Hmm. And which is probably the biggest issue that any footballer can have. Whatever about personality clashes, if the manager doesn't actually think I'm as good as I used to be, yeah. maybe, I, I, am I not as good? I can, I can only imagine these are the thoughts that Keane was having at the time. He certainly seems to hint at it. But listen, we'll get into all that. We'll be talking to Sid Lowe about Catalan independence. Uh, the people of the region there have a vote next month, although it's not actually recognised as, as an independence referendum by the Spanish government. Right now, though, it is time for a Roy Keane-dominated report on sport. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, um, he wasn't exactly in blinding form no, at this press conference. He, he seemed to—he was there. He did his dutiful bit to promote the book, but it wasn't one of his sparkling performances. I wonder if he was pissed off about the way the leaks and everything. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I assume he probably is. Uh, and and it's—it's it's in a way coming in and talking about all this stuff now feels like oh, you know, we've been talking about this stuff the last couple of days. It now. was going to be really impactful if uh, it had gone the way it was supposed to go. It would it would have been, you know, and it would have been kind of fresh and it wouldn't have felt like you know, we're talking about this stuff now for a couple of days. It's been going on a couple of days and we're all talking about long ago stuff mainly, you know? I mean, the the guy from the publishing company uh, who made a little speech before Keane was, was keen to say, look, you know, these aren't all st- stories that we all know. There's a lot of New material in here. 
But really, the main, the crux of all this is the whole is Ferguson. That's the that's the central reason for the existence of this book. And then, I mean, there are some interesting things about Sunderland. But you know, I, I mean, reading the whole Sunderland section, I I mean, there's a few things left out of this. I think you know, I mean, there are a few. I don't really understand this. Uh, it, based on his account of what happened at Sunderland, why he's not still the Sunderland manager. You Everything seems to be sweetness and light. Things seem to be going really well. There, there aren't two. I mean, there are a few instances. For instance, you know, um, there's a few. He does a few cack-handed things. You know, um, one of them would be one example would be, for instance, uh, Craig Gordon, the goalkeeper, who yeah. we paid a lot of money for, of course, nine million pounds at the time. Um, let in a goal in, in a pre-season match in, in Portugal from 30 yards, a free kick. And he came saying, well, I didn't even see why he needed a wall. And never mind letting a goal from there. So the next day, he's like, goalkeepers shouldn't let in goals from that distance. It's a joke. And um, uh, so, and he says, here, listen, I'm going to show you. And puts on the goalkeeping gloves. And he's saying, right, um, you lads are going to take shots on me from 30 yards well I want some volunteers because if you score on me I'll give you a thousand pounds and if you don't you have to give me a hundred thousand pounds each thousand pounds for every, every player any player who could score a goal past him from 30 yards uh, is going to get a thousand pounds and he'd give a hundred quid to any player who to, or rather they would have to the give player, him a hundred if the player doesn't score he has to give him a pounds so, uh, so he gets on the goalkeeping gloves gets in, gets in the nets Craig Gordon and the other goalkeepers don't look too impressed by this they don't even watch uh, Roy Keane's display of goalkeeping skills. They're just going off doing their stretches and stuff. They're kind of like, hmm, yeah, don't, not really sure how much we like this. And, of course, the other players are having shots, and Keane is, is diving and saving the shots, knocking them onto the post and the bar, wins 800 quid off the players, keeps a clean sheet, and makes a, a big point. But, in hindsight, maybe not a good point. <laughs> uh, maybe a point that insulted and belittled yeah, his goalkeepers. that's incredible. And, uh, look how easy this is. I'm about a foot smaller than you, Craig Gordon, yeah, and I'm, I can save all these shots. I'm 15 years that old. That reminds me you. a lot of the uh, Glenn Hoddle, the story from the 98 World Cup, or shortly before, when David Beckham, superstar, emerging superstar at that point, he might have missed a free kick or something like that, and missed a shot, and Glenn Hoddle pushes him aside at training. This is how you hit a ball from yeah. 30 yards. Becks, and it was seen as really humiliating. Yeah, and that was insulting enough. And that was Glenn Hoddle, who was... Uh, you know, acclaimed by a lot of people as the best uh, technical midfield player of his generation mm-hmm. in England. So at least Glenn Hoddle, when it comes to volleying a ball, is somebody who knows what he's talking about. Whereas Roy Keane, as a goalkeeper, is just a man taking the piss out of a goalkeeper who's actually a goalkeeper. You know what I mean? So, I mean, Keane, Keane thought, he says, I mean, it's not as though he's relating this he knows that it was a bad idea. I mean, looking back, he's like, well, I realised that I actually lost Craig Gordon for a few weeks and maybe a bit longer as a result of that. It was a, he's, he's relating it as a mistake that he's made. I mean, there's plenty of that. It's not as though he's looking back going, well, I did this and this and this and I was right about everything, so I don't understand what the problem was. I mean, he's, he's, he make, he's, he's talking about plenty of mistakes he made. Still, though, I'm not sure the whole Sunderland experience is related I mean for well what do you think is missing why do you because it, well there was a lot of signings or I mean he says he'll say something like my, my recruitment could have been better I accept that but you know what are we talk, what, what are the specifics of that you know you bring players in and then they don't work out and then before you know it they're, they're kind of you're never picking them again and they're kind of being ostracised they're still getting paid by the club you know mm. the club has got all these guys in the wage bill you know 
th those kind of details, which kind of are the really important things at the club, you know, that's that's how a football club is ultimately a, a, a paying an organization that pays a lot of people to do a job. You know, you, it's a money-based organization. Yeah. There's not much of that in there. But you know, as I was saying, Ferguson seems to be the main sort of uh, yeah let's hear what he, uh, sort of things he had to say at the press conference today where do you want to start um, these clips so yeah the first one is 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 this the real you this what we what we get in this book you know is this an attempt to show the world the real you not about the, the real thing because you're always going to hide some parts of your character you know like people are saying it's this and it's honest but it, a lot of this is part of you know the stuff that's been said about me over the years, even from ex-teammates, you know, just pack of lies, just lies and lies and lies. And sometimes you go, listen, I've got to get up and say something myself and defend myself a little bit. And, um, and hopefully the, the book will reflect that. But in terms of the real me, hopefully you never get to see that or get to know that because that's part of, that's part of the game, isn't it? You know, your job is to try and find out little bits of snippets and you'll have your own contacts. I know there's people in this room here who've got mates who are quite happy to tell lies about me and it's okay for people to print it. So every now and again, you have to defend yourself. Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of stuff I let go, lots of stuff I let go. But eventually you go, no, no. Okay. Enough's enough. What was interesting about that clip was that it was set up for, it was a positive enough, very positive question, uh, about as positive as you can get. And he turned it into... I was going to say a tirade, <laughs> but he turned it—he turned it into a question that he used to criticise these journalists who are too close to Ferguson and too close of too close to his former teammates. Yeah, there's journalists, there's teammates, and and as will become clear, he blames Alex Ferguson for a lot of that stuff. <clears throat> his that you know these lies, but you know then again, what lies? You know who? What, what did? Would you not have thought over the last year or two that actually Roy Keane's career was going really well? You know. That like um, people seem to, you know, it, it was it was generally in a, in a kind of gradual upswing. Things were going quite well. It wasn't, you know, he'd been on TV a lot, but I don't think there was too many Roy the Raver headlines, you know, like the Daily Mail had the other day mm. uh, in recent times until the, this book came out. You know, when he's talking about these lies, people attacking me, was anyone taking any notice? He might have been talking about before in the in the period when it, when he ended his association with the club when he was just finishing up playing with the maybe nearly, as opposed to right now that is nearly 10 years ago though I mean I, I think I, I think it's again it's what Ferguson came Ferguson said in the book last year you know that basically Ferguson painted this image of him as a complete maniac yeah. you know and and, uh, and that's really what that's really what, what has inspired all this um, lies and lies and lies so can he ever forgive Alex Ferguson he was asked good question I'm not sure not sure. Um, like football's a small world, and eventually you think you, you will cross paths with people again. And um, whether I ever bump into them or not, whether it be at a game or uh, sometimes there's conferences going on. Um, the, the, the problem I, I suppose I had, and uh, one of the reasons again, when you're, when you're writing stuff and you're reflecting on it, is that when you've worked with somebody for such a long time, and, and obviously we had our disagreements, and, and I departed, and I had no problems with that, that's fine. It was. It's afterwards when people start, you know, coming up with all sorts of nonsense. And for, for Alex Ferguson, not just to criticise myself, but for other players who, who were part of a team that, you know, brought some good days to lots of supporters. And for him to criticise that one, when you think of what, what he made out of it, his, 
He made millions of pounds on it, you know. He got his statues. He's got a stand named after him. He's he uh, to to come back and then criticize and again. I said at the time I wasn't too bad about myself, but to criticize people who brought him success was just was just ridiculous. So would I ever forgive him? I, I don't know. Listen, I don't know. We'd, we'd see if we ever cross paths again. I'm sure we will cross paths. I mean. <laughs> uh. Nice end. It was a good question, as Keen acknowledged himself. Was it a good mm. answer? Yeah, but I mean, what is it? It's, it's, it can be difficult with this thing because we okay, we know that Roy Keane and Alex Ferguson are at war. The question was, can you forgive Alex? forgive Ferguson for what exactly? What exactly is it that we're talking about here? For for saying nasty things about him in a book? Yeah, not just a book. I mean, he, he had a go at him in the match program. Uh, uh, was not shortly after the David Walsh interview that Roy. Yeah, Keane but had I mean, done. that's that's what do you expect. You know, I mean, there was uh, people are having a go. What was it? People, TV pundits are having a go at us. So he kind of belittled them by referring to him as a pundit. But what do you expect Ferguson to do? His own, his team is being attacked by somebody. He's just going to. Well, it's two incredibly strong-willed, stubborn people who will not allow the other person to have the last word. Yeah. And hope if we know Ferguson speaking tonight at this Chamber of Commerce. I think that's more of a, a speech that he's doing as opposed to... That'll be more ma- dynamics of management. Yeah, I don't know if he's going to... I mean, I'm sure Roy Keane will come up in conversation there, but yeah. don't know if we're going to hear any of that necessarily. But uh, I hope one of them just ends it. I mean, Alex Ferguson's also retired at this stage. Mm. Um, what more? Roy Keane's got a career to be getting on with. Mm. At some point, they might get tired of each other. And well, I, I mean, I think the really interesting thing about this is that is that um, Ferguson and Keane have a completely different view. At one point in the book, and this is one of the things that was came out in the extracts, he's talking about Ferguson saying he's a cold man. It's all business. There was never any genuine warmth with him. It was all. He said that as a compliment in a way. He said this is where he gets his. This is his strength. His lack of warmth. Yeah. Um, he can be quite rational. He can be quite ruthless. Doesn't bother him. Um, and Keane is the opposite of that. Really, has this incredibly emotional approach to. As a football player, that was what made him an uh, amazing player to watch. You know, he cared so much about it. It's a kind of Suarez type thing. You know, that sort of. Some players have that. You know, this is the most important thing in the world to them. Um, he says in the book, you know, it wasn't just business to me. It never was. You know, everything is personal with him. Um, and I, and I think he thought that the thing between himself and Ferguson was was more than just a normal... I mean, he talks about Yap Stam. The club sold Yap Stam like a piece of meat. He was able to see that quite clearly. He was able to see quite clearly in other instances how the club treated players. But when it came to himself, I think he honestly believed that it was that Ferguson had more of a regard for him, that he really did trust him more, you know? Yeah. The most selfless display I've ever seen in a football player. You know, Ferguson say these kind of things. The greatest captain, you know, you know, I, I think there's a bit of my character in there. You know, this kind of stuff that Ferguson would say. And it was all just... But that's, yeah, I, I, I guess it's a natural human I don't instinct think... to, to, want, to want to believe that somebody likes you. Know? Yeah. But it's a management player dynamic. It isn't like that. We, t- we talked to Henry Sheffield on the TV show last night. And Shefflin's played his entire intercounty career with Brian Cody and they've achieved 10 All-Irelands together. It comes to All-Ireland final week. Cody did, there's enough of a relationship, positive relationship, that Cody took him aside to explain he wasn't in the team. But when I followed up and asked Shefflin, you know, did you did you go to him at any stage in the last the last few weeks of the season and ask him what you needed to do to mm-hmm. get into that team? He kind of laughed. He's like, well, we don't, have, we don't quite have that relationship, you know? Yeah. And, and I, I don't think 
sports people generally, you're not you're not mates with your manager really, and, Keen, that, Keen, and maybe Keane missed that. Well, point. That's the thing because Keane is more, is a more emotional person than the average person. I think you know he that's that's kind of the, what drives him. You know these kind of emotions. What made him the type of player that he is? The, when he's talking about Ferguson, say, what was Ferguson's way of dealing with Keane or kind of putting pressure on him? Not talking to him. He was doing this. I'm not talking to you thing that he would do every so often. Say Keane would play a game for Ireland or something that Ferguson didn't want to play in it. Wouldn't talk to him for the next week or two. Now that's an interesting one, isn't it? Because that wouldn't work on everyone. A lot of players would be delighted. Oh, he's not talking to me. This is great. You know, I don't have to, <laughs> I don't have to talk to him. But Keane worried about that. Keane was like, you know, he, he he kind of missed the... Per- he actually craved that affirmation yeah. from Ferguson, you know? And uh, I think the thing he can't forgive him for now is the fact that it turned out to be... He turned out to be just another player. You know, because uh, I don't think... I don't From Kane's point of view, I don't think Ferguson was just another manager. I mean, you go back to his, his last book and you get a very different view of Alex Ferguson in there. I mean, he's essentially... He's a, he's a genius. Even in this book, he's still kind of saying Ferguson was a genius in a lot of ways, you know? Every team talk he ever did. But, you know... This there's, there's a bit in it where uh, when things are kind of puttering out towards the end, Ferguson says, "Oh no, I'm not putting you in. You know, I'm putting in. Uh, I can't even remember who the player was. Some mediocre Quentin Fortune, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, putting playing him instead, uh, or maybe it was Fletcher or someone. And Keane, Keane, Keane is like, uh, I think I've done well enough in the 400 odd games I've played. You know, to kind of, I, I you know, I want to see it. I think I've done quite well for you. You know, what are you doing? And uh, that sort of sense of, hang on a second, don't you, uh, don't you realise how much I've done for you? I've given my entire life. And, and he's, you know, uh, he's also got this hip which is hanging off him, as he says. You know, he's broken his, his ribs and his knees and all, all sorts of stuff. And it kind of, when the, when the realisation dawns that none of this means anything, <laughs> that, he, you know, he's broken himself physically, given himself up spiritually, and all that you get is uh, sitting in a room with David Gill and, uh, Get, after, getting your amount of years of service wrong. Get, yeah, yeah. Thank you for your 11 and a half years. Well, actually, it's been 12 and a half years. Oh, really? Well, when did you get here? 93, was it? Yeah, the Because I was on Wikipedia this morning and it double. said that you were here in 94. <laughs> so, you know, he, and, and, and that's, that's a really interesting scene as well because Keane is so choked up with emotion in that, uh, in that meeting with Ferguson and Gill. He's so angry. He's kind of so be- betrayed that... He loses about a million pounds by, as a result of the way he acts. He, he just kind of walks out. He kind of, Ferguson says, oh, yeah, you know, don't worry, you can play for someone else, which, which, is, which is untrue. He can't play for anyone until the January transfer window. Um, he never bothers to check with the club secretary what his contract should, the details are of how his contract should end. He doesn't give Michael Kennedy, his, his advisor, Michael Kennedy's come up and is hit completely out of the blue by this. He's like, what's going on here? I thought we were here to talk about a £5,000 fine. And you're sacking him? What's going This is crazy. We have to talk about this. This is complicated. You know, and Keane's like, no, it's simple. It's over. You know, he's right. It is over. You know, and it's, it's almost like this, like, I don't want to say teen. It's not a, I don't want to belittle it like that, but it's like a, an emotional reaction. Okay, well, fine, you know. And it costs him a ton of money, not just doing things the right way. Ferguson and Gill have a statement thanking him for his, you know, 11 and a half years. And he thinks about it later and he's like, you know, Ferguson knows me pretty well. He may have that statement might have been designed specifically because <laughs> he knew that it would really annoy me. Well, let's hear a little bit more detail from Keane today on what he views as Ferguson's media strategy. 
And obviously Ferguson had pals in the media, he's got a few here today, I can spot him, he's spotted him a mile away. Um, he has pals with him, put out little snippets about you, and then the story about you, which is, which is lies, basic lies. So I have to come on and say, listen, not at the time, you have to bide your time, bide your time, and, um, and I've waited long enough, so here we go. Here we go, indeed, yeah. Gloves are off. I, I know that's quite similar to the clip we played earlier, but it, it's worth just seeing that that was a theme. And it wasn't necessarily being brought... That was a question about Ferguson, all right, yeah. But uh, Keane was happy to go there and uh, in the conversation that uh, he had with daily journalists afterwards, he went into it in a lot more detail, which I'm sure you'll read about tomorrow. But uh, Yeah, I mean, the whole, the whole book is, is basically him trying to correct these... As he sees it, lies, misconceptions. I mean, the start, the very start of it is. Uh, well, that's what anyone. Alfie concerned. Harland. Yeah. Uh, well, do you think anyone? I mean, no. no I was just going to say that's what. Uh, no, I, I, I would have thought almost anybody who's writing a book is writing it so that they can put a certain image of themselves out there. Mm. And in the case of someone like Keane, who's been written about and talked about so often, by definition, if you're, you're you actually are, are correcting what you see as, as uh, incorrect perceptions have been put out there. Yeah. Well, I mean. I suppose there are a lot of things that have been put out about Roy Keane. I mean, he's an interesting type of person who, who does attract headlines. I mean, Roy the Rave or whatever, all the stuff during the week. It's quite easy to attach these headlines to him. Um, first story in the book is about all about Alfie Harlan, back to that tribunal. People say, you know, that I my tackle ended his career. Well, it didn't. That's not what happened. You know, and he's kind of trying to clear up this misunderstanding. <laughs> I just meant to, injure, uh, to hurt him, not injure him. <laughs> There's a difference between hurting... And injuring, you know, this kind of stuff. Yeah. A lot of people might look at it and go, well, hang on a second, you know, look what you did to him. You were obviously risking injuring him by doing that. You know what I mean? Anyway, uh, but but the other thing about it is that when you say stuff about people, and there's plenty of disparaging things to say about other people in here. Uh, Greg Halford, useless, you know, football player. He signed from Reading, didn't write him. Lots of stuff in there about how useless he turned out to be. Pablo Cunago, uh, a, a fan favourite at Ipswich, mm-hmm. uh, who Keane didn't like. Dead lazy, he calls him in the book. Um, well, Pablo Cunago didn't like being called dead lazy, and so he comes out, and uh, the quotes from him today are absolutely venomous. Really, this is, this is withering stuff. Yeah, it says... It seems like he needs to criticise players, managers and directors to keep selling books as he is not able to do anything else in football. It's a very sad ending for a person that was so big as a player. As I told him once, I think he is a complete mess as a football manager. As he said in his book, he wanted to hit me, but behind his appearance, there's a coward. I just hope he can find happiness in his life, as in my opinion. Being that miserable must be very mentally draining. Uh, He goes on, I could say a lot of awful things about him, but I don't feel right speaking about him. I feel sorry for him. That's why whenever he says anything about me, I don't take offence, even though he's not telling the truth. Uh, he goes on to say um, well, yeah. Keane was jealous of, of Cunago's status with the Ipswich fans. Uh, he's one of the biggest names in Manchester United history. Now he's getting annoyed because people like me. He was the kind of person who could have everything, was never going to be happy. They look so big and strong standing there, but really they're weaker than anyone. Um, you know, he, he, was, he won everything as a player, but when he tried to do as a manager, he was nothing. He's better as an assistant because he doesn't have to do anything and he can be kept to one side. Didn't exactly hold back, did Eric Canago here. I swear. A that. mess of a manager, 
a really unhappy person. Unhappy a person, coward. a coward, envious, finished as a manager. I don't know if Carragher's noticed that he is currently involved in the Premier League and international football. Yeah, <laughs> he's doing okay. But well, be kept to one side. Being kept, to, yeah. Well. So I mean, that, but I mean, you know, at the, uh, the other side of it, Pablo Cunhago was just going about his business the last couple of days, and then he then he reads his name in the newspapers. Apparently, he's lazy. He's been slagged off. So. So obviously he's going to retaliate. Oh yeah, well, why shouldn't he? You know, I mean, if it, it, the the question here is, what was the point? What was the point in Keane's book? Was it really necessary? Was it really necessary to diss Pablo Cunhago? Was it was it really necessary to have a go with Greg Halford? Nobody remembers these people. Nobody cares about these people. Why bring them up? Yeah. You know, and then when you do that, you, you're opening yourself up to exactly what happens there. Cunhago's. I mean, a lot of people would would say, well, you know. I kind of recognise what he's talking about there. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't think there's Whatever about anything the per- to be gained. Yeah, well, Kanago's gone through a lot of personality traits, but the, if people are listening to what this guy's saying, the most damaging aspect of that was how awful a manager he thinks he is and how all he'll ever be is an assistant manager because he just has to be kept to the side. Yeah. It's like, he didn't like that too much. No, no, insane. It, it's it's insanely. Uh, it's a, but you know this is this is what happens. You know, so it's it's a kind of if you, if you kind of start off this tit for tat uh, kind of exchange, then it, this is what's going to happen. Do you want to play one more clip? Non Ferguson. Non Ferguson. Yeah. Um, non Ferguson. It's uh, it's to do with Ireland. Yeah. Uh, and he says in the book at one point that he. Um, starts to feel more Irish as he gets older. Actually, he says, you know, his kids are, obviously his kids are all born in England. They all laugh at him about how they support England and all this kind of stuff. Um, But he says that the older he got, the more kind of connected to Ireland that he felt. And why was that, really? No, I I think obviously a lot of stuff was written over the years, going back to one or two two idiots, really, who would, I suppose, power to write headlines in the Irish media about me not wanting to play for my country and all that carry on and, and obviously I had problems at United sometimes getting for games and, and then people tend to figure as well I had a lot of injury problems particularly in my mid-twenties going back to my cruise ship and then I had a hip problem and a few knee injuries so maybe I said in the book maybe I got distracted by all that as well and got sucked into I suppose the politics of the game and I probably was guilty of that and, um, and sometimes you're under pressure from your club and prioritising but I think I've had a chance certainly to reflect over the last few years and uh, particularly getting back involved in Ireland um, and yeah and, and I suppose refocusing and looking at, on, on what's important and what's not important because this, the same people who put me under pressure even at the time about international football are the same people who didn't care less about how Ireland done anyway so I, I suppose there was there was plenty of distraction on that and a lot of pressure on me from different people including you know Ferguson and people like that so that, that, that's part of it. I, I look back and think, yeah, there's, there's a few regrets on that side of it where, you know, I should have probably fought my corner a bit more. But, and I had the same, I suppose, even at Forest. You know, I had one or two incidents, you know, with uh, underage teams with Ireland. And, and as I said, uh, it's not trying to be clever after the, um, you know, again, hindsight's a wonderful thing of football. But I, I'd wish I'd I kind of hadn't took my eye off the ball with the Irish stuff. You know, but it did and it happened, and that's why the chance to get back involved in Ireland was um, uh, was, was fantastic for me from from a selfish point of view, and it just rekindled what what I love about the game because whatever has gone on the book, the, the fights, the disagreements, you know, the, the, uh, 
you know, I still love the game of football, you know, but unfortunately with with the, the industry I'm in now, you, you can't get distracted. And, and I see other players doing exactly the same now, so hopefully my experience can help them and say, listen, just, just focus on the game and, and don't worry about, you know, all the other nonsense that's going on around it. Very quickly on that. Well, we said it wasn't going to be about Ferguson, but it was. Um, <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. So, essentially, Alec, I, this is something else that comes out in the book, just how much Alex Ferguson did try and stop him playing for Ireland. You know, every so you, you think back to the whole Saipan thing, McCarthy saying, you pick and choose your games, you know? And he got so angry with that. Uh, because, I mean, he in a way, he's, he's been pulled in two directions, you know what I mean? It's kind of... A, he would have felt, looking at that, this is an impossible situation. I can't make anyone happy here. You know what I mean? And now I'm being accused, accused on both sides. And basically, you know, you know how you kind of end up reacting. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, Ferguson never cared about Ireland. It was Ferguson only cared about himself. This is this is what Roy Keane realized at the end. Well, he did try to get Roy he to only play cared the about World himself Cup that time. all the time. He made that interjection around Saipan to try to keep him at the World Cup. Yeah, I can't remember. Did he do? Did he really? Fight hard for that. Did he, he claim, bad for that? He claims in his book that he did. That he, <laughs> yeah, that's the end of Ken Hardy's report on sport. I knew the place. Clough, that he calls me Rabbi, didn't know them. He said to me, "What can you do that the boss hasn't done? You, the boss." And I said, "I want to win the league, but I want to win it better." There's no way to win it better. Why not? Only, no, 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 no. But that's the only hope I've got. We've only, we only lost four matches. Then, but that, well, I can only lose three. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. Clough, that he calls me Rabbi. Good luck. Now that might that might be you know aiming for utopia, and it might be, might mean being a little bit stupid. But that is the way I am. I'm a little bit stupid regarding this type of thing. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that. I want to be like me. Emmett Malone was at the Aviva Stadium today for the Irish Times and we had a chat with him out there. Emmett, the question we've been asking for the last uh, few days, I suppose a lot of people are wondering the motive behind Roy Keane writing his book. Was it to make money, to settle scores? It seems to be all about Alex Ferguson and lies that have been told in the media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, settling scores or, or, or defending himself, as he defending says. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was, he used the phrase more than once that he had to come out fighting uh, after all the lies that were being told about him. And apparently there were an awful lot of them. So, yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's, been, a strange, uh, it's been a strange half an hour, hour, hasn't it? Um, on the one hand, you see the kind of... Um, um, introspective, reflective, uh, amusing side, um, very humorous side to Roy Keane. On the other side, you get this stalk of lies, lies, lies. You guys, you guys know who told these lies. Your friends, Alex Ferguson friends, you can spot them all over the room. That was a moment, uh, uh, very much a, a, yeah, you had to be there moment, but yeah, he, he, he says that. He says, I can spot these guys a mile off. You're here now in the room, the guys who Alex Ferguson's feeding his lies to. It's quite striking uh, how much, we already knew Roy Keane pays a lot of attention to things that are said about him, but... Yeah. How obsessed he seems to be with Ferguson's playing of the media. And I know there's more of this in the daily chat that you guys had that you can't talk about just yet, but even from what we heard uh, generally there, he just seems to be obsessed with it. 
Yeah, on the one hand, he's, he's a very impressive character, and he seems in his handling of the media at times to, to, to do that so well, to have thought it out. And you, and at other times, like there, I, I thought at, at moments he sounds a bit bonkers. I mean, that's it. You know, he just sounds, there's that, that hint of paranoia about it all in a way that you wouldn't ex- expect of him at his, at his, at his more reasoned moments. It's, it's, it's a strange thing, but of course, that's what he's always been about, isn't it? The, you know, the contradictions in Roy Keane, and that's what's made him such a fascinating character, and there's plenty of that there to dwell on today. What really comes across as well in the book is this kind of this intensely emotionally charged view of football that he seemed to have um, which in the end he, he seemed to get incredibly angry at Alex Ferguson because it turned out that Ferguson just saw him as another player and not that, that, that they didn't have I think that's changed though hasn't it I think that's changed I think that uh, he said a couple of times there about the fact that um, he talks about Ferguson and it was business with Ferguson mm. and now I think at the time he was outraged I think it was a, a really horrendous realisation for him at yeah, the time that, God, that, he that he was just another really player me, yeah. exactly yeah but I think he's come on from that and I think now he says you know well it was business you know in the book he says uh, Ferguson was rootless it was business but that's kind of fine it was the stuff afterwards we had three four times in the uh, in the press conference today there just talking about the nonsense that came afterwards well that's fine he, he snagged off the players you know he went and he wrote his own book you know mm. so I think there was a way back for them or certainly more of a way back for them had it just ended badly the way it did at Manchester United because then Roy Keane the player would have become Roy Keane the manager and realised that you do have to let players go you at the, well, at, the end of their, uh, at the end of their time but I think since then it's become in a strange sort of way more injuringly personal I don't, I don't understand what exactly what happened here I mean, I'm, trying, I'm trying to get it reconstructed in my head you got these guys who were, had a very close working relationship. Maybe it was different from what one of them thought it really was at the time. But, you yeah. know, they, they worked together for a long time very successfully. And then uh, I'm just trying to work out what happened. So Ferguson didn't, we hear it reading the book, Ferguson didn't meet him once for a drink after a match. Um, I'm trying to remember what the other incidents were well, that caused things to spiral out of control. What, uh, is the point based on reading the book that it was already out of control by the time it got to the MUTV tape and it was, was, was that no, just no, no, this is I right. think oh, there was certainly after, a hint oh, after, uh, after that sorry. I think there was certainly a, a hint today or a suggestion today and and, uh, and and maybe it's touched on in the book as well that he feels that Ferguson was almost looking for an excuse to jettison him mm. you know that, that the tape mm. the tape was blown out of all proportion that everything was blown out of proportion and certainly Conan, uh, Ferguson's justification of it retrospectively since has all been terribly blown out of proportion <laughs> that basically they felt his time was gone go- gone and that they didn't do it in a more dignified way that they looked for an excuse and they went bang you're out of here mm. is there something a little bit uh, kind of grim about this in a way because we're all we're all sitting here listening to, the, to this guy one of our greatest um, footballers and, and talking about sort of feuds and stuff from years ago mm. and lies and trying to defend himself I think it's pretty undignified on both their parts in ways I mean it's, it's a good read you know as these yeah. things go I'm, I'm not you know the, the most compulsive reader of football biographies because a lot of them are very hard I admire your work on this one Ken because you, you, you seem to have yeah. quite an appetite for it yeah, but yeah. Um, I find an awful lot of them very hard to get by and yet this is quite readable you know it's not revelatory in, in, in many aspects when the, when the first leaks came out on, on what was it Monday or Tuesday uh, I was quite kind of uh, downhearted about it. It was with a heavy heart that I kind of looked forward to reading the rest of it because it was all, you know, Ferguson's a wanker and I head put it Peter Smike and everything like that. But there are some more interesting bits of it. It's written in a nice, even tone. It's very readable. It's quite amusing at times. But at the heart of it, we see again today at the press conference when he's asked why he wrote the book, it's essentially because of his feud with, with, with Alex Ferguson. I don't think either of them at this. They, 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 they were both bigger than this, surely. Yeah. He was asked a question at one point who... Uh, who was his um, mentor?
mentor, I think it was, growing up. If it wasn't Alex Ferguson in football, who taught him all, all, yeah. all he had, all he learned. And he said, well, Brian Clough taught me quite a bit, but really it was my teammates. The teammates are the important ones. The manager's role is overblown. They get too much praise mm. and they get too much criticism. But it, in, and he starts name-checking Gary Pallister, Steve Bruce, these kind of guys, seemingly oblivious to the fact that Ferguson signed them. And the whole point of... The, the biggest part of being a manager is actually signing the right players. So mm. almost by definition, he, he's Ferguson surrounded, uh, surrounded Palace, surrounded all these these great guys together. Is that almost a compliment of Ferguson by saying that the, the teammates that are, are the, the players are the ones who matter more because Ferguson bought the best ones? Well, he was at one of the best clubs, or if not the best club in England at the time, and so he, he was bound to be playing with very good players almost regardless of who the manager was but certainly yeah it reflects positively on, on Ferguson that he bought players that, that Keane you know would have mm. learned from um, I think in, 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 in previous interviews in the book itself I think he gives more credit to the managers himself I think he talks uh, Clough quite warmly and the impact that he had on his career um, I think that sometimes Keane in interview situations and certainly here seemed to get slightly trapped you know, by by the circumstances that, on the one hand, he's he's been quite critical of of, of Ferguson. He's essentially uh, suggesting that he's really written the book to answer the lies that Ferguson and his allies have told about him in the past. Um, and so, to move swiftly from that to saying that that Ferguson was such a positive influence on his career is, is a difficulty for him. But he has kind of said that in the past. I think you know, I think that was part of the hurt that we touched on. In, you know, when he when he left Manchester United because he felt that Ferguson was, I think, his mentor at the time and, and, yeah. and, the, and well, the, it clearly did I mean I, I remember his last book you know there's quite a lot of good stuff about Ferguson in there but yeah. um, just there's something that a, a colleague of ours Neil O'Riordan tweeted a few hours ago he said Martin O'Neill and Roy Keane about to speak at the Irish Management Institute Roy Keane will then launch his book but they are of course fully focused on Gibraltar I mean what do you make of this? I, I, I find it I, I find it quite remarkable I find it I found it astonishing that the Martin O'Neill could stand there with a straight face uh, the other day and say that none of this was a distraction um, there was lots of jokes as, as uh, uh, O'Neill specialises in in uh, even asking when the launch was that he was so unaware of it but um, these are two important games they're, they're two qualifiers Gibraltar obviously we should win God knows what will happen if we don't win and how the week will be picked over and the preparations as well as everything else. Um, but but even the tone or the way in which we win against Gibraltar is important in terms of setting us up for Gibraltar. This seems like an incredible distraction. Um, obviously, uh, his life is more complicated now because he's taken the village job as well. So he's taking time off from somewhere, the preparations. Mm. But... Um, it, it, to, to think that this might have just been done because the logistics of setting it up in the week that he happened to be in town... Yeah. Um, it just seems incredible, mm. and, and and time and time again over Roy Roy Keane's career, um, and certainly in, ter- in the latter part of it and his management career, you find yourself coming back and asking yourself, what would Roy Keane, the player at his peak, have thought of all this? Yeah. And I don't think he'd been happy. Yeah, well, Emmett, you're first in line to write the book about this week if Ireland are losing <laughs> to Gibraltar, because there'll be one written. Great to talk to you. Thanks, Great stuff, it's good that we uh, did get a mention of the Gibraltar match, that, which is on Saturday. Some the games going vi- up. Yeah. The vital, uh, two, uh, yeah, two vital World Cup qualifiers. Mm. Is there any other kind of World Cup qualifier? Well, there are the dead rubbers. It's also not a World Cup, I should probably say. Euro, Switching Euro. my attention to the fact that it's a European Championship. Are trying to go. Looking forward to Gibraltar on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, I'm happy enough for the games at 5 o'clock on Saturday. Actually, it's not a bad time to have a game. It's a great time. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Better uh, than better, better Saturday... Uh, afternoon, evening, then Friday evening. I are you any good at counting up attendances at events? Because you know, there's always these figures that are put out by the FAI for uh, the yeah, official attendance. And, and people always say, no, it didn't look like that much. They must be counting season tickets and some mm. people who, are, who aren't here. Are you any good at actually 
physically guessing, or if you're at a, if you're at a gig or something like that, because yeah. I'm terrible at it. That's, that's no, I'm not, I'm not great at it. The reason I ask is there's a pro-independence rally in Barcelona last month. 1.8 million people on the streets of Barcelona screaming for Catalan independence. Well, that's what the Catal- that's th- that's what those people who were there say. Mm-hmm. The Spanish government or Spanish people close to the Spanish government put the figure at five hundred thousand, which is a hell of a lot less. I don't know. How, I don't know how, what the actual physical process is of counting up the amount of people on a march like that. I think though that five hundred thousand is still a hell of a lot. It is a lot. Yeah, that's a big, big public meeting or march. So, yeah. So uh, so even if even if that's the the sort of uh, pessimistic, or the, the, the when they're trying to play it down, if they if they have to concede at least half a million people, we're still talking about a big protest. Sidlo, what is the situation there now? And the Spanish government has prohibited the this referendum that's taking place next month, or supposed to be anyway, uh, on independence. They say it's unconstitutional, but the Catalans are having it anyway. Where does it all stand at the moment? Well, where that stands at the moment is that the Catalan political parties have agreed that they will they will force this through. They will do it anyway. Um, and one of their ways around this is 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 to basically say that this isn't a referendum. It's what they're describing as a consultation. Uh, in other words, we are not voting, and then we become independent. We are voting to see what people think about this. And of course, then that would then be used uh, as a, as a means of pressure and as a and as if you like a kind of a, a, a starting block from from which they can then decide what they do next. I think it's a very long process, a potentially a very long process, potentially a very difficult one as well. And and I think you've hit the nail on the head really by by starting with that point of the, the Spanish government saying this is unconstitutional. This simply cannot happen. There 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 is there is no debate here. There is no argument here. And this is one of the reasons why. Um, the Catalans have followed follow the Scottish case very, very carefully. But, of course, they're not the same, and they're not the same because the starting points are very different. And one of the main reasons why the starting points are different is because, of course, um, Scotland was, was in an environment in which everyone, I think, agreed that even if Scotland shouldn't be an independent state, it was indeed a country. Within Spain, there isn't that acceptance of Catalonia even as a country. And so that, that starting point changes. And as I say, and the other key reason, of course, is, is a logistical one, which is that in the Scottish case, um, there was a willingness from Westminster to allow them to have a referendum. In the Spanish case, uh, the Catalan case, there isn't a willingness from Madrid to allow them to even have what they're describing as a consultation. Yeah, and the reason for that, Sid, being, I mean, I'm not pretending to know much about it, but the reason it seems to me that they're not willing to let them have a referendum is because they know which way the referendum would go. The Catalans would vote for independence. It's, un, it's not I, like I, the Scots. I, I mean, David admit, Cameron knew the Scots would... Well, had a, he, he thought he knew that the Scots would not go for independence, but if they can't take that risk with Catalonia. Well, I mean, of course, and as you say, I mean, Cameron, to some extent, t- took a gamble. Also, Cameron was in a position, I, I, I suspect, that, that felt that there was no other way and that, that this had to be allowed to happen. And as you say, with that gamble that, that it doesn't pay off, but that maybe he will be able to, to kind of end it by, by there being a no vote. Uh, I think the Catalan case, um, the suggestion is that, that a yes vote would win out, but it's, it's not absolutely clear. And we're, we're not sure that, that, that necessarily they would get a yes vote. What there is is there's a, there's a huge push at the moment to be allowed what they're describing as the, the right to decide, or at least the right to have this vote. And, and even that is being challenged. I, I suspect that in the long term, it could well be that this is a political miscalculation from, from Madrid, because it could well be that that provokes even more of a backlash. But I say this as someone who, who's watching, watching it to some extent from the outside. Um, and, and, I, and I must confess, I'm, I'm not sure which way this will go, because, of course, let's assume that the yes vote comes out and, and, and that there is a, a reasonably strong majority in favour of the yes vote. Then what happens next? Well, then do you have some kind of declaration from Catalonia 
Do you have a lobbying for the European Union? Do you have the risk of Catalonia effectively saying, right, we're going it alone with the potential backlash that that creates? Um, it's very, very difficult to see to see how this will progress. Sid, where, where does Bar- Barcelona as a club fit into this? Because officially they'll say that they're, they're not involved in the political side of things and that they'll just go with whatever the people want to do they'll they'll represent their the, the people in that way but in the uh, you don't exactly see them clamping down too hard on all the independence shouts and the independence ba- uh, flags that are around the place yeah and of course um, to some extent it's a political decision to say that they will be governed by what the Catalan people not by what the Spanish people want or not by what the state wants um, Barcelona I think actually have been put in a quite awkward position with this because they as you say they haven't publicly said at club or institutional level this is what we want to happen but but Carlos, Carlos Villarrubi who tends to be the man who's, whose job it is to, to talk about these kind of issues has always said look we are entwined with the Catalan people we will do what the Catalan people want to do um, and and whatever happens we will respect it now of course as you say at the same time as fans at the stadium are chanting for independence in the 17th minute and 14th second of of each half of the game in which there are banners in which Barcelona have always seen themselves as as associated with with Catalan identity not necessarily explicitly independence but of course as you say nothing has been done to prevent that they would argue um, maybe with a slight of hand they would argue that, well, that's just fans saying what they want to say and, and, and who are we to stop them? And Barcelona have been put in an awkward position in, in all this because, of course, the, the implications of what it might mean for a Spanish league and so on. But there is, a, I think, a cautious support for, for a Catalan movement from within the club, but they don't want to put themselves in a position where it could rebound against them. And, and, and I, I suspect that on a kind of almost a personal level, if you can talk about a club as a personal thing, on a personal level, I think mean, there's, there's an element of them thinking, we could probably do without all of this. I think one one interesting difference with the Scottish uh, referendum is that in that case, you had uh, certain big uh, sporting figures, guys like Alex Ferguson and uh, Andy Murray, say, big uh, sporting Scots, who... Um, Andy Murray eventually said something about it on the actual day of the referendum. I think he said essentially he was he was a yes uh, voter. Didn't quite use the word yes, but he he came down on that side. Of the end. Yeah. Ferguson, it was it was known had donated to the no campaign, but never said anything about it. So it almost seemed as though these guys, whatever their own views, I'm sure they had their views, considered that it would be in bad taste somehow for them to come and openly support one side or the other and try to influence, try to use their celebrity or their status to influence the result. That does not seem to be the case in Catalonia, where for somebody like Pep Guardiola, and I don't know if there is a, a bigger sporting legend that's ever come out of Catalonia, is really openly um, a sort of Catalan nationalist and, and sort of plugging them. They don't. They, they clearly don't have this um, effect in Spain, where you're not you're not supposed to talk about politics just because you're a famous sportsman. Well, you, well, they do actually in a in a funny sort of way, and this is this is one of the reasons why there's been a backlash because it's not just the. I mean, obviously, it, it, the backlash is always based on, uh, on on your own thoughts. So, for example, if, if you're a Catalan nationalist and someone comes out and, and supports Catalan nationalism, then you would never say, well, he's a sportsman, he shouldn't talk about it, because he agrees with you, and therefore that kind of initial spark of rejection doesn't, doesn't happen. Um, but it certainly is true that, that from Madrid uh, and from other parts of Spain, the, the, where there are a lot of people who, who are anti-independence for, for Catalonia, that PK coming out, and, and saying, for example, that he supports um, he supports the right to to have the vote, and Guardiola saying that he supports Catalan independence. There have been lots of people who come out and said, "You're a footballer. You shouldn't be involved in politics. You shouldn't do this." But of course, 
if you like, kind of supporting a, a, a Spanish perspective or or a, or a non-Catalan independence perspective is also political of, of, of one sort or another. And Barcelona do use this kind of linguistic gymnastics to say we are not politically motivated in terms of party politics. What we are is in support of, of the Catalan people. Um, but yes, there have been people who've come out very, very clearly, and it hasn't always been, been well received. And there is that, that kind of backlash that says... Um, you know, you shouldn't be involved in politics in any way. Which annoys um, me a bit, so I'd have to say, why, why shouldn't they be? I mean, just because well, someone well, is a famous someone, sportsman. Someone said something the other day and, and that, that I thought was quite an interesting remark, which was uh, kind of, a, if you like, a backlash against the backlash. And, and, and it, admittedly, it was something in Catalonia. I can't remember if it was now, but I saw this comment, which I thought was an interesting one, which is sportsmen are always told that they shouldn't talk about politics. But, of course, bishops and priests and everyone in the Catholic Church can. Well, you know, is it necessarily different? Is it, is it at what point does it? I mean, who's got a moral authority or or a political authority to talk about it? And and to be honest, I I, I support a player's right to to talk about it if he's got an opinion, and I don't see that necessarily as a problem. Not least because it's always politically charged. So, as I said before, if if Guardiola comes out and supports Catalan independence, he gets slaughtered for getting involved in politics, basically by people who don't agree with him. Uh, and of course, those people who do agree with him say, "Well, of course he should." Whereas, if if a player if from the other side, someone came out and said something very, very anti-Catalan independence and very, very kind of aggressively anti-Catalan, then you would have, but potentially, I, w- I would think that those same people saying, "Well, he shouldn't have got involved in politics." And I suppose it always comes down to whose side you fundamentally are. Sid, I'm, I'm, I mean, this might be a difficult question for you to answer, um, but has Guardiola ever given any indication of why it is he feels so strongly about this? I mean. Uh, I don't really necessarily understand what it is that motivates uh, Catalan separatism, or you know what their feelings are towards the, you know, sort of Madrid setup. I mean, I'm 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 kind of thinking again of Roy Keane. I mean, it's all Roy Keane here this week, as you can imagine, and his <laughs> his his attitude towards Dublin's anti Cork bias and Cork being the outsider and sort of, you know, hating the centre, the periphery, hating the centre for that reason. And um, what what's going on with with Guardiola? Well. As you say, it's, it's quite difficult to answer. And I think I think when you talk about um, nationalism of any kind, whether it's Spanish nationalism or Catalan nationalism or whatever it may be, then 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 it has an element of of the intangible. It has an element of of the history being um, being filtered through through a certain prism. And, and 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 then of course you're talking about certainly in the case of Guardiola, someone who's why is he in favour of Catalan nationalism uh, and Catalan independence? I suppose the slightly glib, and I admit it's not a great answer, but the slightly glib and basic answer is because he believes that Catalonia is a country um, with a with a culture, a language, and an identity of its own, and therefore shouldn't be uh, subsumed within the Spanish state. Um, now, obviously, this is before we start getting into all sorts of arguments about about the definition of, of a country, where you see the differentials between between Catalonia and, and either the rest of Spain, or specifically Madrid, or specifically Seville, or specifically any any particular part of the country. Um, and that becomes obviously very complex, and we really could be here all day. But from Guardiola's um, point of view, I, I think it's a, a very very simple one that he sees it as the um, as the support of of a people's right to self determination. Now. As I say, we could go back and argue this till we're blue in the face, but I think that that is it in a nutshell. Well, the, the consultation, as they're calling it, is on the 9th of November, so we'll keep an eye on it. Sid, brilliant stuff, thank you. My pleasure. The flame hair, flame hair, flame hair, flame truth, Mr. Ken Early. Every so often, I'm on the bus and I suddenly turn around to bite someone. John Hayes, I'm talking about, Aaron. Yeah. John Hayes. Now, I always thought that was ridiculous. He had won the victory over himself. 
He loved Brendan Rogers. That's where it comes from. Thanks a lot, Pepe. Fair to say, anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. Let me show you right now for you give it up. Barcelona's place within this, the, the, the club, the football club, Barcelona's place within this argument is interesting because as we were talking about there, they haven't made any public stat. I mean, I don't think Juan Laporta, the former president, is a, a, a big, staunch, pro-Catalan dude. Pep Guardiola, a pro-Catalan, I mean, imagine most people involved in Barcelona are pro-Catalan, but pro-independence. You talked about Pep Guardiola there as well. Mm. The club itself, I was, at, I was there last year and did the tour of the stadium and they do like to congratulate themselves um, on their support of previous movements towards autonomy historically mm. when it's safe to do so. So it's on, if you look at the walls there, at one stage the club declares itself in favour of Catalonia's rights and freedom. It supported the call for autonomy at the end of the 1920s as well as the statutes of autonomy in 1931, 1979 and 2005. I'm going to put out there that should they ever become independent, the, uh, Cat, there, should there be Catalonia independence, they'll be adding, you know, 2016 to that. We were fully in support. Um, yeah. We just couldn't really say it beforehand because it was awkward. I mean, they remind me a bit of Rangers and Celtic, you know, um, who uh, at an official level would always be, well, of course we're not, um, you know, we're, we're not uh, political in any way and the sectarian business is just appalling to us. But at the same time, when they release an away strip, Rangers one happens to be orange and Celtic's one happens to be green. You know what I mean? They've both done that. And Barcelona's away strip last year was the... Senera, red and yellow stripe pattern of the Catalan flag. You know what I mean? So they're they're quite happy to commercially exploit the political leanings of the uh, majority of their fan base. Let's just say um, they're they're happy to cynically exploit that for financial gain. Um, but I suppose maybe they feel it's a bit awkward as a as a sports institution to start. Expressing political opinions. I mean, although Juan Laporta, when who was the president, I mean, he yeah, is I mentioned a, him. Yeah, he is like he is a proper Catalan nationalist politician. Not a very successful one, admittedly, but you know, I mean, uh, I don't know. Maybe institutionally, they're not going to express a view, but lots of individuals, lots of important individuals in Barcelona have very strong public views on that. All right, if you haven't had enough sports autobiography talk on this show, then <laughs> tune into the other show that we put out there earlier on where we chat about Kevin Peterson's book. <laughs> Mr. Peterson. And not to mention Anthony Daly's book. Uh, that uh, was with Christy O'Connor. We were actually talking to Christy O'Connor about the uh, the new Dublin hurling manager, Jerry Cunningham, but we ended up talking a little bit about his own involvement in Anthony Daly's book. Uh, he's the ghostwriter of that one, and it sounds particularly interesting. So do have a listen. Uh, last word, Ken, to you is on the Keane book. Mm-hmm. And it was a, maybe there's a bit of a negative slant to stuff that we were talking about today. Well, there's a negative slant to a lot of what Keane was talking about today because mm. it was a lot, a lot Ferguson related. But is there enough in these nearly 300 pages to keep keep our listeners entertained? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think I, I enjoyed it. Um, I mean, it's uh, seven Kens out of ten. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that's I'd say that's about accurate. Seven, seven there's, there's lots of there's a good few funny little stories in there, um, in between the sort of little episodes of well, you know, you may have heard this is what happened, but in fact, you know, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just I just kind of hope that uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel I, you feel a bit sorry for him at times, you know, mm-hmm. kind of reading this like because he's you know he. He had these kind of big disappointments. You kind of you sense him struggling to to deal with these things. You know, he just gets very uh, charged up. I mean, that scene that he has in walking around the Sunderland training ground, looking at people and wondering if they like him or not. You know, that's a bad place to be in. 
Um, so I don't know. Hopefully he uh, manages to work it through. Yeah. I, what I what I all I want down is for him and Alex Ferguson to make up and be friends. <laughs> Why can't it just happen? You know, yeah, but it's, yeah. but life isn't like that. Owen. We we know life isn't like that. My head is too, almost too filled with Roy Keane at the moment. I think I need to go and take a nap. Um, what about going along to Fergie's gig later on? He's I don't in. think I'm invited. I don't think I'm quite. High powered enough. Quite high powered enough to be invited to the Dublin Chamber of Commerce. Is it the Dublin Chamber of Commerce? Something along yeah, those lines. Yeah, he's in the convention centre, I think. Uh, so yeah. might, might stand around outside and see, I'm, see I'm, if there's anything drip fed out, out to us. I'm just going to go home now. I think. <laughs> All right, listen, thanks for listening. We'll chat to you soon. Bye. What is that? It's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys.